Oh, good morning. I'm looking for something else to preach this morning. Because you may not like what I've got, so I'm, I'm looking for something else. What? I can't hear you. <laughs> well, we'll see if you say that in about 15 minutes. How are you doing today? Isn't the Lord good? Isn't it a privilege to gather together in his name with other fellow believers and hear a magnificent choir do that gorgeous choral piece that we heard this morning? It was really, really incredible. <clears throat> You've heard me say on a couple of occasions that I tend to have this um, general understanding about approach to the presentation of the word of the Lord. I don't really recall anybody telling me this. I think it's just been my own observation over time. And it goes something like this. I, I believe there are times when we sense the word of the Lord coming to you, when, when, it's, when it comes to you. And I thank God for that. And I, I think all of us in this room know what it is to have a verse, someone either preaching it from the pulpit or someone sharing it with you in some way, and it comes to you. And with it comes this life and nourishment and, and hope and restoration. And that's wonderful when it happens that way. Thank God that it happens. But it also seems to be times that are surely there when, when we are required as believers to bring ourselves to the Word. Now, we still may, we'll still receive hope and life and nourishment and enrichment for our souls, that happens, but also sometimes in bringing ourselves to the Word, there is that sense in which we are also coming for realignment, or it might even be a word of, of correction, and um, you know, the, the Hebrews reminds us that the Word of God is alive and powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. And it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. That's, that's what it does. So I think any of us who have walked with the Lord for any period of time know what it is to, uh, to and enjoy and appreciate that which the Word brings to us when it comes to us, but also know what it is to go in and find a word of correction in the Word. Is anybody with me here this morning or is it just me? Well, I want to add another dimension to that idea of thinking, and that is this. Not only do we as individuals find those times when the Word comes to us and those times when we must bring ourselves to the word. I believe that happens to us corporately as, as a people as well. It's one of the reasons why I so greatly value corporate worship, corporate prayer, corporate Bible study, and there are so many opportunities for that um, on this campus. I'm thankful Pastor Will has started a Spanish Bible study. This congregation was saying Sunday morning only is not enough for us. Could we meet midweek and study the Word of God? And he fills a room upstairs in the new Bethesda School of Ministry wing on, on, on Wednesday night of people who are just hungry for the Word of God, corporately coming together. There's value in coming together corporately as a people. I think we've all seen those times when as a church, we've seen the word of the Lord literally sweep over us with an encouraging word or, or something that, that increases our faith or, or enlarges our vision of Jesus. And that's wonderful. But there have also been those times, and I'm so very aware of it as a pastor, when we have to say, come on, folks. Come on. 
Let's come to the word of the Lord today. And if it brings correction, if it brings realignment, let's be mature enough to welcome it and, and embrace it. And though sometimes the word, because it is a two-edged sword, it may, it may cut deep. The work that the word of the Lord will do within us is a good work. It is always a good work. And so how many of you are having fun so far? Yeah, you just can't wait what's coming next, right? With that kind of a setup. I have a certain approach today. And I want, I want you to go with me for just a few minutes. Yeah, I'll get, let's do like Pastor Michael says. Get off of your devices. That's I love that. When he did that last week, let the kids tell on you when you're on your device. That was terrific. <clears throat> I love that. The approach is this. Uh, I want to speak to us today as a people, as a congregation, as a people. There, there may be, and I hope there will be, and there should be some individual value in what I'm going to share today um, but I'm primarily speaking to us as a people as I talk about carrying the weight of vision. Carrying the weight of the vision. Now, quite honestly, I am queuing off of the marvelous message brought to us last week by Pastor Michael, where he admonished us to be a people of service, reminded us, reminded us how the Lord Jesus humbled himself and washed the disciples' feet, and I thought Pastor Michael did an incredible job doing that. It is not... Typically an easy task to cover material when you are mobilizing a congregation and encouraging them to do that which they probably know they, they need to be doing and, and to, uh, to get up from their place of rest and put their hand to the plow. And I thought he did it extremely well. I just, something he said stirred something within me and I wanted to add a little something to it. And as I thought about it, I realized... I don't think that he, he missed anything, but there are something that, some things that maybe I can say that would be easier for me than for Pastor Michael because he's still new here and developing relationships, and here's the truth. I'm not new here. <laughs> so it's going to come out straight today, okay? Straight as an arrow. I know this fellowship very well, and I know that you enjoy being told the truth. And um, let me just know this, that this is going to get better as it goes along. It may be a little rough at the beginning, but it's going to get better as it goes along. Here's one thing that needs to be said to us from time to time that we need to clearly understand. Whatever it is that prevents you from putting your hand to the plow and finding a place of service in the kingdom of God, whatever it is that prevents you, you need to get over it. But Dan, you don't realize how hard I work. You don't understand my schedule. Well, you might be surprised how much I understand about schedules. You don't, Dan, you just don't understand how tired I get. I'm just exhausted. Oh, yeah, I understand. I, mm -hmm, I understand that. What you really don't know, Dan, is how hurt I was the last time I ventured out to do something in the church, whether it was here or someplace else. Can I just be unmistakably clear about that? Dear one, you run the risk of getting hurt in anything you do if it involves people. That's just the way it is. I'll never forget being on, involved in a certain project years ago with someone that was quite painful to be around. I remember coming back to Pastor Dez's office and saying, Des, I don't get it. Why, why doesn't God just smush that person off the planet? <laughs> I mean, that would be my plan. 
you know? I don't, I don't understand that. Why? Why? And Des, in his inimitable way, he said, Dan, never forget we have this treasure in earthen vessels. I said, yeah, but some people's vessels are a little more earthen than others. <laughs> it's easy to get hurt. You can get hurt in the church. And you don't need me to tell you this, but any of those things I just mentioned or anything else that may be on your list that prevents you from putting your hand to the plow and being involved in service in the kingdom of God. You don't need me to tell you this, but I remind you, Jesus went all the way to the cross for us, enduring the pain, bore it all, that today you and I walk in freedom from our sin. Does somebody have a hallelujah to that? The fact that there might be some occasional pain involved should not stop us from serving the king. What is it that prevents you from stepping up, volunteering for service, and putting your hand to the plow? Because we know what the statistics say, and I, it's possible that Pastor Michael referred to this last week. It's called the 80-20 rule, where it says that 20% of the people in any given church are doing 80% of the work. One of the issues that we face at Bethesda is the same thing that many churches face. And that is, most churches, and we have it here too, there's always a group of folks who've decided that they are eligible for retirement from spiritual service. They've put in their time, they've had their day, they have their t-shirt, and they want to take it easy. And I've said it before, but I'll say it again. If you are a believer in Jesus, it works like this. You do not get to retire from spiritual service until we put you in the grave. And then we'll talk about it, okay? If you have somehow manipulated your life and your lifestyle to the place where it is a self-serving, self-satisfying, me and mine only kind of life, then dear one, you are not living as a New Testament believer. And the principle that I so desperately want you to understand as a pastor is this. When we stand here and make appeal to you, for all the things that could happen in the church would help us advance the cause of Christ in this area he's called us, the vineyard in which he's placed us. It is not so much about what the church needs you to do or what the church needs from you. It is much more about the fact that as a New Testament believer, you need to be in service in the kingdom of God. You need to be spiritually employed. And there are so many ways that any of us can find a place of service. Starting with prayer. You may say, oh, I've got this issue. Then be a part of a prayer band. Be a part of a group of people that are praying together. Yes, the church has need for people to help and children and youth and choir and teachers and ushers and greeters and Bethesda Cares and the community outreach work. Yes, but you have a need as well. Your need is you need to serve. To be a healthy believer, functioning as a New Testament believer, you need to be in service. Now, let's talk about this word called vision. Probably the most popular verse that always surfaces when you talk about vision in the church 
is the one in Proverbs 29, 18 that says this. You know it. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision. That's the most popular. That's the old King James, which we know uh, so well because most of us memorized it as a kid. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Well, the issue for us today is the Western church, the American church, has had a tendency to translate that verse like this. Where there is no building program, where there is no five-year plan, where there is no 10-year strategy, then the people won't stick around. That's how the Western church, the American church, tends to translate that. And when it comes out of the mouth of most people, that's essentially what they're saying. But as we've learned, the real translation of that verse looks more like this. Where there is no revelation of God, the people live lives of unrestraint. That's really what that verse is. Go look at it any, any way you want to look it up. I looked at it about 12 ways this week. That's what it says. Where there is no revelation of God, the people live lives of unrestraint. Another way of saying it would be this. If we are not passionately pursuing God, then we as a people will abandon ourselves to our own sinful ways. Or when the people have no revealed word from God, they will cast off restraint. The implications of living with no restraint are horrific. We may think that we want to do our own thing when we want, where we want, the way we want. That sounds good to our flesh. That sounds great. But the only way to life for the believer is to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord, doing what he wants, when he wants it, where he wants it done, and the way he wants it done. Can you say, oh me, or something? It's feeling really lonely up here today. Now, once you've had a revelation from God, what he's calling you to do, there is weight to that vision. Vision has weight to it. What do I mean by that? I mean, there is responsibility to live up to that revelation of God. There is responsibility to live up to that vision. There is responsibility to be obedient to the fulfillment of that vision. Simply put, you have the obligation to get up from your place of rest and do something about it. And carrying the weight of the vision means that you remain true to the vision regardless of the distractions that come or the propensity to veer off course during the course of time. About 350 years ago, a shipload of of travelers landed on the northeast coast of America. The first year, they established a town site. The next year, they elected a town government. The third year, the town government planned to build a road five miles westward into the wilderness. Oh, within the fourth year, the people tried to impeach their town government because they thought it was a waste of public funds to build a road five miles westward into the wilderness. Who needs to go there anyway? Here were people who had the vision to see 3,000 miles across an ocean to overcome every hardship that an ocean can create to get there. But in just a few years, they were not able to see five miles out of town. 
they had lost their pioneering vision. With a clear vision of what we can become in Christ, no ocean of difficulty is, is too great. Without it, we barely move beyond our current boundaries. Thank God there are people who are willing to carry the weight of vision. So what is the vision? It's a question I get asked a lot. Well, I believe the church has a general, the church has a general vision taken straight from the word of God, which tells us this, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We have that from Mark 16, 15. That's our assignment, that we're to go into all the world. That includes you as an individual going into your world and preaching the gospel to every creature, perpetuating the gospel, lifting Jesus high, making his name famous, making him known. That's what every one of us are called to do, according to Mark 16, 15. That same idea is echoed in Acts 1.8, where we are instructed to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. So what does that mean to us? That means for us that we are to be witnesses in Fort Worth. It means that we are to be witnesses into Texas. Who knows? You may even have to go to Oklahoma, okay? <laughs> Sorry, Linnell. And keep going. Beyond that, that's the general vision of the church. And it takes faith to carry the weight of vision. It takes faith to carry the weight of vision. Faith to believe that the Lord will supply everything that you need to carry out what he has called you to do. What is our specific vision as a fellowship? What's our part of the job? Well, we have sensed from the Lord and tried to communicate for this season of time, what our assignment is, it's to be reachers. One of the very first messages I preached as a pastor was on understanding the word reacher. Made up my own new word. Being reachers. Learning how to reach beyond ourselves so that we can be all that God has called us to be for the sake of the gospel. And that reach starts here in Haltom City, which is our Jerusalem, through our community outreach efforts. And there are plenty of them. Pastor Michael will be glad to direct you to one of them, I'm sure. We've also sensed that, that, that as people who are reachers or endeavoring to reach our world, we are to reach multiculturally. Quite frankly, when I sensed the Lord drop that in my heart, I had no idea that it would end up with today a service in Spanish and a service in Swahili happening at the same time this English service takes place. It was just a word, just a, just a flash that went through my head and penetrated my heart. As the Lord began to just explode within me what Bethesda could do and could be for this period of time that we are here. I thought, you know, we need to reach culturally. That would be, oh, it would be, my, my own heart resonated with that. I had no idea it was going to go to, I had no idea it was going to go this place. By the way, we could still help use your help with those services. There are things that can be done. But if we truly grasp and embrace the general vision of the church to go into all the world, then clearly we must go beyond the comfort in, of our own culture. We must go beyond the comf comfort of our own ethnicity. We must not stop at just crossing an ocean of 3,000 miles. We must forge the new five miles into our own wilderness. Who needs to go there anyway? We do. We do. Because there is no such thing in the kingdom of God as the white church 
or the black church or just the Hispanic church. It is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and we are all one in Him. I'm a firm believer that the church is enriched as we embrace cultures other than that of our own. And it gives us a tiny glimpse as to what heaven will be like. Our vision is to reach our community for the cause of Christ. To train, to disciple, to equip those whom the Lord brings to us to be reachers as well. To go into their world. And we are looking for people who are willing to carry the weight of the vision. People who are willing to walk in faith with us. Because it takes faith to carry the weight of vision. People with eyes to see what can be. People with eyes to see the possibility. What can happen. Both the hummingbird and the vulture fly over our nation's deserts. All that the vulture sees is rotting meat because that's what they look for. They thrive on that diet. But hummingbirds ignore the smelly flesh of dead animals. Instead, they look for the colorful blossoms of desert plants. The vultures live on what was. They live on the past. They fill themselves with what is dead and gone. But hummingbirds live on what is, and they seek new life. They fill themselves with freshness and life. Each bird finds what it is looking for. We all do. Our vision is to reach multiculturally, which will require all of us to step outside of that which is most comfortable to us and embrace something that is done in some other way, whether it's a different style musically or presentationally or the way things are done. Our vision is not only to reach, our vision is not only to reach multiculturally. We believe the Lord is calling us to reach multi-generationally. And let me be honest with you this morning. That is much easier said than done. In fact, if you ask me about my journey over the last four years in endeavoring to navigate this fellowship in this vision, I would have to say that as challenging as it has been to reach multiculturally with all of our cultural differences, it pales in comparison to the challenges of reaching multigenerationally. Because we tend to tolerate our cultural differences all to varying degrees, but we will fight for our generational preferences. We are more than convinced that the way of our generation is the right way. But I am of the firm conviction that just as we are enriched by the blending of cultures, we are also enriched by the young worshiping with the old and the old worshiping with the young and all that is interchangeable there. Both generations have so much to offer and each one benefits from the other. At Bethesda, we have made intentional efforts to identify those of a younger generation who have leadership skills as well. Have, they've also made their loyalty to the fellowship very well known. Mike Rogers, one of our former church board members, has taken the lead role in developing what we call our associate board member program, and he has done an absolutely magnificent job. The third class of associate board members began just this morning, and we have another fine class of young leadership that are starting just today who are ready and willing to serve. Now the goal of this program is to develop our skills as a church in handing off the baton of leadership to the next generation. It's something I've found doesn't come as easily as, as you might think. It's something you have to almost exercise that muscle at handing off the baton properly. 
The goal is not only that, but even as we talk in detail with this class about the operation of the church and give them a very good glimpse of the inner workings and what all it takes, what it's needed for it to function successfully and how each of these young leaders can begin to fully grasp their need to be weight bearers and carriers in faith of the fellowship called Bethesda because church, it takes so much more than just a pastoral team. It takes lay leaders and a strong, healthy fellowship of people who are willing to carry the weight of the vision and have the faith to do just that. Because it takes faith to carry the weight of vision. And thank God there are people of faith who are willing to carry the weight of vision for the church. I can think of no finer example to illustrate this to you than to let you see a bit of what just took place last weekend in our studio up in the Bethesda School of Ministry wing. This church generously and sacrificially gave of their financial resource when after January 2012, I stood right here at this pulpit and said, I got nothing except a word from the Lord. That's all I have. January 2012. That's all I have is just this this instinct in my heart that we are to be a church who reaches to the next generation and that we develop a school of ministry, which we have today. And part of that School of Ministry, which is all a part of becoming better at becoming reachers, reaching even further. Part of that project was to develop a recording studio, which was to help train young musicians and worship leaders and to equip them as we begin to hand the baton off to them at the appropriate time. Well, last weekend, we conducted what we would consider the inaugural vocal and orchestra recording session. It really put our facility to the test. This inaugural vocal and orchestral project was for the Assemblies of God World Missions Department. Every year for 26 years, they have produced a music video with the goal of that video being used in local churches across the country to help in raising financial support for our missionaries. We knew we were to develop a school of ministry where we could teach and train Young people from ministry, all a part of the idea of, uh, of, of reaching to the next generation so that we could even help our missionaries to keep them on the field doing their job. And what I'm saying to you this morning, church, is this. It happened just last weekend. Every note that was played on every instrument in our studio, every word that was sung by every singer was recorded for the purposes of helping missionaries raise the needed funds that they need to get the gospel out. It was Bethesda once again reaching to go into all the world to be sure that the gospel is being preached. And my dear friend Randy Hurst, who has preached to us so many times, wonderful communicator and a precious friend of mine. I spoke with him just yesterday, and um, he's actually the executive producer of that project. He, uh, he represents the World Missions Department and as the communications director, and this project falls under him. And he asked me yesterday to thank you, Bethesda, saying, I doubt that Bethesda knows what an incredible impact this church is having on world missions. Literally, this music video will have impact on thousands of churches just in the U.S. alone. But here's the point I want you to get this morning. It was the vision of the leadership of the church to develop such a recording facility, which today is a reality. It would be very easy for some people to assume that this was Dan's idea because of my long history in in the music industry, the Christian music industries particularly. But that is not the truth. 
It was no less a man than Mike Maddox, who at that time was the chairman of the church board and the church board that served along with him during that period of time, along with executive administrator Ron Schaefer and many of you who made extremely generous and sacrificial donations. That's what happened to to cause this to come into reality. These people had the vision to see what Bethesda could do when we had nothing up there but an empty shell. And they walked out that vision. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about carrying the weight of the vision. People who are willing to see and embrace the substance of the vision and carry the weight of that vision so that Christ is honored and glorified and the work of the kingdom is enhanced and carried on. I want you to give those folks a hand. Come on, church. It takes faith to carry the weight of vision. Faith with eyes to see what can be, though it is not today. Faith to do the work of of the vision when it means sacrifice, when it's inconvenient, when it eats into your personal time, when it costs you something. But vision requires faith. And I think of this so often as in my own life and as I'm talking to others and talking to staff members from time to time. I, I say privately in the quiet of my own heart, oh God, help us speak in tones of faith. Let faith be a part of our conversation. Let it be that which motivates us and pushes us forward. Let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts not only be acceptable in his sight, let them be full of faith. You may say, well, Pastor Dan, I'm not so sure I've got that kind of faith. You know, having faith doesn't come easily for me. You don't understand. I was raised in a, in a very negative environment where, where I was taught to see the glass half empty instead of half full. Or you may say, Pastor Dan, I'm very pragmatic in nature. I mean, I've learned to really value reality, and it's my nature to exalt that above any and everything else. Well, it's, it's wonderful that you are a realist. God knows we need people in the church with their feet on the ground and their heart toward the Lord. As long as you understand that as a believer, we must still be able to speak in tones of faith. Are you hearing me this morning? What God can do when we can't, when what we see is a reality of an empty shell, what God can do in the process of all of that. My father-in-law, God rest his soul, was a farmer in Iowa. A handsome, hefty man who was good at what he did and incredibly committed to his farm work. Many of you know, those of you who've been here a long time, know that he died at a very young age in his mid-50s in a tractor accident in 1985. Becky, it was 30 years ago this June that your daddy went to heaven. One of the many things that I remember about him was that his car of choice was a Chevrolet. He just, he was a farmer in Iowa. He just, the look of a Chevrolet vehicle just did it for him. He just liked them. And every few years, he would trade for a new one. Most of the time, it was going to be a Chevrolet Impala. Well, I never really knew what an Impala was. Honestly, I just only associated it with a Chevrolet. That's only in my lifetime. That's the only way I'd ever heard the word used until I looked it up one day to discover that the symbol used on the Chevrolet vehicles was this little deer-looking animal. An impala is actually a tiny little deer that is known for its incredible ability to leap. This little African deer can jump, listen to me, 
10 feet from nothing, 10 feet up in the air, and 30 feet out. Think about that. From simply standing still, they can jump as high as a basketball hoop and jump for a first down in just one leap. <laughs> Sign them up for the Cowboys this year. <laughs> Here's what's interesting about them. If you ever see one of them at the zoo, you'll find that they are typically contained in an area with a fence around them or a wall around them that is only three feet high. And you're tempted to go up to them and speak freedom to them all. Say, boys, jump! You can do this! You don't have to stay here! You should be jumping all over the zoo! You could jump over this little three-foot wall you know, in a second. It's nothing to your ability. But if you ask the zookeeper why these tiny little African deer won't jump over this three-foot wall given their incredibility, incredible ability and athleticism that they can literally jump in one leap, 10 foot, feet in the air and 30 feet out, here's what you will discover. These little African deer will not jump unless they can see where they're landing. So they only have to build the wall high enough. They're, they're little deer. Only have to build them high enough to just be barely higher than their eye level. And they will never leave that area. They will never jump if they can't see where they're going to land. They will stay completely contained in their restricted area. Now, You and I call that a leap of faith. We might call it a step of faith or a walk of faith. But church, whether I'm speaking to you as a body today, and I primarily am, or as an individual, there are moments that God will call us to do things wherein we do not know where we will land. You don't know where you're going to go. You don't know where you're going to end up. And this little animal, with all the potential in the world to just blow past the barriers, literally stays contained in their little environment when they should be terrorizing the zoo and jumping over everything and everybody. But they don't because they're afraid to go anyplace because they don't know where they will end up. Can I just say it to you really straight today? But that's what a Christian's called to do. Jump by faith and not by sight. That is the Christian life. You and I want it all contained. We want it all lined up. All of us organizer, A-types, get it together, ducks in a row type people. We want it all together and we want to see from here to the end. That's not what New Testament believers live like. That's not the way we live. We are always being asked by the Lord Jesus to take a leap. And take a leap when you do not know where you're going to land. It is amazing that the thing that pleases God the most, we pray the least about. Because the Bible says without faith it is it is impossible to please God. 
But very rarely do you hear anyone say, I, I almost never, I can't even remember the last time someone came to me and said, Pastor Dan, pray for me. I want God to increase my faith. What most of us do is we just try harder to believe, thinking that's the path, as if faith is something that we can manufacture. Church, as kindly and gently as I can say it, we need to ask God to give us more faith. Amen, Dan. Some of us need to respond to the altar call today simply asking God to increase your faith. Either because of the circumstances of your life or if for no other reason. You just simply want to live a life more faith-filled. Let me begin to close by taking you to a passage where Jesus asks his disciples to do something just like, just like what I'm talking about. They are barely out of the Sermon on the Mount. and Jesus is asking He's about to ask them to jump into a place that they're not used to and they can't see the landing. This is in Matthew chapter 8, right after the Sermon on the Mount. Let me read it to you. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Now, no one knows what's going to be on the other side. They were just sitting with the crowd of people listening to what is considered and is the greatest sermon ever preached on this planet. And this is, this is what happens, verse 19. Then a scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. And when he got into the boat, listen to me, his disciples followed him. Isn't it interesting that the Lord doesn't even give them a chance to catch their breath after the Sermon on the Mount? But he's going to pull the disciples away from the crowd because Jesus never, if you really look through Scripture in the New Testament, Jesus never really appears to be all that fond of crowds. He's not all that taken away with crowds because he wants to deal with people one-on-one. -on -one. Christ is calling his disciples to come away with him to a place they're not totally sure of because that's where he's going to do his deepest work in their lives on the other side and not in the midst of the crowd. Which says this to us today. You may be sitting here enjoying the music and enjoying the service, but Jesus wants to have a face-to-face -face with you. He wants to do his work and his deep work in you. And notice how they all had excuses, just like you and I do. They all had excuses. Well, I need to go bury my dad, and, and then I'll go wherever you go. And I, I need to do this, I need to do that. And Jesus stopped them all and simply said, look, guys, you have no idea where we're about to go. You don't even know what's on the other side of the wall. But we're about to take this giant leap that you're not really sure about. And, and, and church, that's what God does. That's what he asked you and I to do. And I, I had this weird sense in my heart today that some of you are so at that point of knowing you need to take that leap of faith. You need, you are in that position of saying, Lord, increase my faith. I'm being so safe and so careful because I can't see the landing. And I can't jump until I see the landing. When the Lord is calling you to jump, 
whether it's jumping into becoming a Christian for the first time today, or it's jumping into the next place where God is taking you, or jumping to a greater level of devotion and consecration to Christ. Is God calling you away like he did the disciples so that he can go deeper into your life? What is the revelation of God? What is the vision of God to you today? What is he saying? What is the Lord saying to you as he's calling you to a deeper level of faith? Because it takes faith to carry the weight of vision. It takes faith to carry the weight of vision. Let me tell you what it was for me. It was just about this time of year in 2010, five years ago, that I began to be challenged about becoming the senior pastor of a church that I had been a part of and loved for three decades. But I want to tell you, and as most of you know the story, it did not come easily, and I did not come into it all that willingly. And for all the people who had questions about whether or not the guy who had been the music pastor for so long should be the senior pastor of the church, let me just tell you, you didn't have near as many questions as I did. I had far more questions about it than you did. People would come to me and say things like, you know, Pastor Dan, so-and-so, they, they didn't really think you could do it. And so they didn't vote for you. And I said, I didn't either. <laughs> I'm with them. <laughs> I, I, I understand. October, November, December of 2010 were the most challenging three months of my life. Arguing with God. And it was intense. And you know what I was essentially saying? I was essentially saying to God, and this is the realization that came to me somewhere in January of that year, of the 2011. I was essentially saying, the leap is too big, and I don't know what's on the other side. And I don't know where I'm going to land. But church, that's the way God does it. He will ask you to take leaps of faith. And he says, you're not going to know where you're going to land. But here's what you can know. That when you do land, he will be with you. Just let that sink in a second. Those of you who are in a struggle today of your faith. Those of you who are fighting, wrestling. Oh my goodness, I could finish your story for you. What it is to fight and wrestle. And you know you're fighting with God. You know you're wrestling and your common sense is pounding on your head. Common sense is a wonderful thing. As long as it comes under the subjection and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and his will and his purpose. There are times you have to say, Lord, I don't know what the future holds. But I know who holds the future. Jesus says, get in the boat to the disciples. But we don't know what to expect. We can't see the landing. Exactly. Guess what? You're about to go into a storm, and it's going to be followed by meeting a man on the other side with a legion of demons. And you don't know how to do this. But his assurance is this, but I do, and I will be there when you land on the other side. And just as he did this for the disciples in this passage, he blew them away with his miracle-working power. Dear friend, he can do the same for you in your 2015 situation, your today, your September 2015 situation. I said I was speaking to you today primarily as a people, but I do want to personalize this for just a second as Pastor Brent comes. I have to ask you 
questions. I can't walk away from this platform. I can't consider this sermon complete until I ask you. I'm not asking you about your neighbor. I'm not asking about your spouse. I'm not asking about your children, your parents. I'm asking you to answer this in the quiet of your own heart. What is the revelation of God to you? What is the vision he is giving you? What is the Lord saying to you? What is he calling you to do? The reason I'm bold enough to ask you that question that may seem like a simple thing that you've probably already dealt with is that some of us run and hide from such questions. We would rather not face them. It might mean change. It might mean all kinds of things. But I'm grabbing the back of your head and shoving your face in these questions today because I love you. What is the revelation of God to you today? What is the vision of God to you today? What is the Lord saying to you and what is he calling you to do? Whatever it is, it's going to require faith. It's going to require you going beyond yourself. It's going to require you reaching beyond yourself to jump beyond the limits of your talent, to jump beyond the limits of your skill set and your ability, and to rest in the assurance that the one who is calling you to leap will be there when you land, even though you don't see it today. I close with this story. Paul Harvey told this story. Those of you who are old enough to remember him. <laughs> One summer morning, as Ray Blankenship was preparing his breakfast, he gazed out the window and he saw a small girl being swept along in the rain-flooded drainage ditch behind, beside his Andover, Ohio home. Mr. Blankenship knew that just further downstream, the ditch disappeared with a roar underneath a road and then emptied into the main culvert. Ray dashed out the door and raced along the ditch trying to get ahead of the floundering child. And then he hurled himself into the deep, churning water. Blankenship surfaced and was able to grab the child's arm and they tumbled end over end. Within about three feet of the yawning culvert, Ray's free hand, felt something, possibly a rock, protruding from one bank. He clung desperately, but the tremendous force of the water tried to tear him and the child away. If I can just hang on till help comes, he thought, but he did better than that. By the time fire department rescuers had arrived, Blankenship had pulled the little girl to safety. Both were treated for shock. On April 12th, 1989, Ray Blankenship was awarded the Coast Guard Silver Life Saving Medal. The award is fitting for this selfless person was at even greater risk to himself than most people knew because here's what needs to be understood about Ray Blankenship. Ray Blankenship can't swim. The courage of vision is to say, Lord, if that's you, let me come to you walking on the water. The courage of vision is to say, as for me and my house, 
we will serve the Lord. The courage of vision is to say, if God be for us, who can be against us? The courage of vision is to say, the trials of this life are not worthy to be compared with the glory of the next life. Would you stand with me this morning, church? It was George Barna who said, vision for ministry is a reflection of what God wants to accomplish through you to build his kingdom. Just bow your heads with me for a moment, please. Prayer team, if could you quietly and quickly make your way to the front, please. Prayer team, if you would come quickly and quietly, please. Lord, I did it. I didn't want to, but I did it. Holy Spirit, you and only you know what's taking place in the quiet of our hearts. You and only you understand the depths of the situations that each individual in this room faces. You know that which you are calling each of us to. You know that which you are calling us to as a fellowship. We want the safe route. Oh, it feels so much better. It's so much more comfortable. It makes so much more sense. But there is this strange thing taking place, at least in my own heart. And I'm quite sure in the hearts of many people in this room, saying, Lord, you are calling me to increase my faith. To go beyond what I have known in the past. Go beyond the limitations I have placed for myself because I've not looked over the three-foot wall and seen where I can land. And therefore, I stay in the contained area. So church, today I am opening these altars as we begin to sing in just a second. We've got plenty of time. You don't need to go anywhere. The altar call today is for those who are saying, I want someone to just pray with me and ask the Lord to help me increase my faith. I need my faith to be increased. And if that's you, as we sing, I'm going to ask you to leave where you stand and come and let them pray with you today.